set Super Bowl 55 and we are ready Tampa Bay is going home hosting a Super Bowl city by the bay Scotty I know that's probably driving you nuts come on man (laughs) Uh, but we got we got Kansas City Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl we're locked in Scotty Miller had a huge catch yesterday Uh, we'll get into that but uh, also our man Brian Sanvito gentlemen how are we Oh, I'm great, good. man. I think this weekend was so fun. Uh, that early game uh, was just incredible. They were both slinging it, and they both started throwing picks. Uh, then uh, we had a great ending that we definitely will get into. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. And then uh, I, I really just think it's one of those situations where the, as the late game was going on and it was kind of the Chiefs had it in hand, you realized, you know what, any four of these teams – that would have made the Super Bowl. This is a good situation, right? And then uh, you know Tampa was in it, and they were going to be home. Either one of these teams that would have won in the second window would have been a great matchup. But it's there's something about this Brady Mahomes matchups. We've only had you know every time we have it, I feel like it's a game that everyone watches. If it's on a Sunday, Red Zone's pumping it and playing it, right? Um, so I'm excited that we get that matchup in a Super Bowl. Because AFC championships aren't good enough. So that's why Brady left. Now we can have him in the Super Bowl. Uh, really excited. And uh, Tony Romo will be on the call for that. So if you're excited, you can is only it on imagine. on CBS? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Damn I it. I know. <laughs> oh, Jim. Okay. CBS is the only broadcasting company that doesn't allow you to just log in like cable credentials and stream it. It's, it's the biggest crock of bullshit I cannot stand CBS. I've grown such resentment towards this channel that I used to feel completely Careful. indifferent about. Careful. And I just, they might pick us up. They, they won't. I, I ref- <laughs> unless they unless they change that rule, this podcast will never sign. With I'm CBS. with you. I'm with you 100%. The fact that you can't just log. I pay for your channel through my cable provider, and now yes. I can't watch a game when I'm traveling. That, now that bullshit. That being said, I use my parents' login information, so I can't even really be like that because I'm not paying for it. I'm mad that I can't. But get your it for family free. is so no. It's but, it's like you, it's like I'm pretty sure. Wait, I you mean, have to I'm get a 25 year old man, Vito. <laughs> no, but the 25 is healthcare, 30 is cable, and then cell phone. I think you can stay on your parents forever. I think those are the three timelines. There's no precedence yet because there hasn't been a generation that's moved through with cell phones. But CBS needs to get this shit together because that freaking now I'm gonna have to illegally stream the CBS freaking Super Bowl. God, maybe you, Amazon will have it or something. That or you happens to a Philly. Lot. That's true too. That's true too. Maybe or maybe I make a road trip up to the uh, the Jersey Shore there and see it. But uh, guys, Vito, you kind of said it there. Good ending, great ending, or terrible ending, depending on how you kind of viewed the last couple minutes of that Tampa Bay and Green Bay game. So why don't we just jump in right there, guys? Because this was I had this feeling. I want to start here because I, I had this feeling going into this weekend. And I, I woke up on Sunday morning. I had to go into work. I was producing a show, ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, Channel 84. You can hear us on there. I was doing our, our 9 to noon show. And we're talking college hoops. We get into, you know, Larry Scott's out of the Pac-12. And I'm kind of in a college mindset. And then I'm on the drive home. 
and I'm listening back to some of our podcasts last week and I'm listening to some other pods and then I'm sitting there and I got like three hours to kill before, you know, the game starts. And I'm just, I'm working through the matchup in my head and it's, Ooh, it's Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, And I, I was so excited. And I was like, you know what this is? This is the feeling you get before an all timer. This is the feeling you get when you know it's going to be a game that you remember watching. It's going to stick with our heads. Every few years, every four or five years, we get one conference championship game, one side that is just epic. And it looked like we were heading down that path throughout this entire game. And then we came down to like the last eight minutes in the fourth quarter. And that's when things started to get a little wary, right? And we'll go through the the way we got there. But I think you have to start here in this game with how it ended. Right. We're going to we're going to Tarantino this bitch start in the end and then work our way back to the beginning. It's pretty remarkable. The outpour that we've seen on social media amongst other places about, well, should he have kicked the field goal with two minutes left? Right. And then the, the bigger one, which we saw a lot out cry are, and I don't even know if it's bigger. They're both pretty huge in this this kind of way was the penalty call at the end. And ultimately here, guys. I hate when a great game has a defining play at the end that involves a referee. And it was a, it just blankly, it was holding. They called it pass interference, but what it really was, was holding. And I don't know how to feel about it after that happens. Right. I I wrote down all these notes and just how amazing this game was back and forth. And then it, it comes down to such a deflating moment that you have all this built up inertia and then just poof. It's gone. Am I being yeah, felt- overly dramatic about this or am I, no. is that because that's what it felt to me was we're watching an all time moment. And just like that, boom, it's gone. I think the poof started when they didn't go for it. In my mind, that poof disappeared when it was like, okay, you're not letting the MVP go for this. Also, I, and I get, you know, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this, if you're listening to this, you've seen those replays and you've seen Aaron, make the right throw and the wide receiver wasn't paying attention on the first down second down. Um, he rolled out. I mean, there was pressure right away. It just, it wasn't going to work. Like I, I don't, maybe he could have adjusted that throw with a third down play. He had the space on the right. He also was trying to look off one defender. And then another one came in from the backside who made the play, which is why he threw it that far. Like if you, we watch those plays, you can see what he was doing. And I just think that if you're saying that no matter what, I'm going to kick a field goal and have to go score another touchdown. Why not just go and try and score one right now and at least get to overtime where you can only have to kick a field goal. There, there are other advantages to extending the game, especially in the position they were at. I just couldn't believe that. So I think, and, and I know we want to talk about the penalty first, but I think that started off. Then when I saw the penalty and, and I was, rooting for Tampa and I, uh, I bet on Tampa. So just disclaimer there, like I was openly rooting for them. Hardcore. <clears throat> when I saw the hold, I it was a hold. Um, I wasn't upset about it being a hold. Um, I was upset with the defender holding on that play. Like, I, I guess that was my problem is that I, I don't blame the refs. I blame the player and like, it's been amazing. We talked about last week, the games have been so clean, all playoffs and it comes down to a moment like that. I get why you're holding, but it holds an automatic first and you have to know that. And you can't, you just can't 
have that be what you do. He was catching the ball a couple yards behind the first down line, and there was a chance he'd get tackled, even by a defensive end that was still around yeah. there. So I think that's where I was upset with. And then you're right. It just – the ending didn't have that weight that it would have, right? Yeah. Like no. it just it's, – it's like letting the air out of a balloon. And, and to address the specifics on the penalty, okay, my I have two main issues with the penalty. Uh, number one, it was not called that way all game. And I feel very confident saying that. Yes. Hey, I, I went back and, and I went back and rewatched, you know, the condensed games that they have uh, that they put up on YouTube after every NFL game. You can watch a full game in like 25 minutes. And on every single play that I saw that was a borderline holding, you know, Devontae Adams got screwed on a potential touchdown play because yeah. of a hold that wasn't called. The um, interception the, that Rodgers threw, that the was interception holding. interception that Rodgers threw had pass inference. They hadn't been calling that all game. And at the end of the day, Yes, when you see it and it's as blatant as it was and you see a jersey a jersey stretch three feet, you have to call it. And and I get it. But he sixty seconds is, after the fact. Well, so not just that, Scott. <laughs> that was the other aspect of this. It was a super late flag. But on top of it, when the actual like foul occurred, he took another 15 steps after the actual foul occurred. And yeah. on top of it, it was a late call. So he had the, the referee had at least 10 to 15 seconds, which is way, it's like ancient. It's like as much time as you could possibly think of when it comes to what referees are supposed to do, which is when you see it, you call it immediately. Similarly to umpires, like that gut reaction, strike ball in or out. You think one, two call like, and that, and that is how it is. This guy had from the time he was at like the 15 yard line or wherever he was to then another 10 to 15 yards after the play Guys are getting up, and then the flag came in. And Joe Buck even said, wait, there might – is there – oh, and there it is. Like, even the announcers had to wait for the flag to come in. And that's yeah. where my problem lies with it. It was a late call, and it wasn't at the time – and on top of it, like, it was not a consistently called game throughout the entirety of it. Scott, I mean, you're well, on board with me. Well, yeah. so it was consistent in that they were just letting them play. And then that was the time that the refs decided to insert themselves into the game and, and the, the part where it was decided. And if you want to get conspiracy theory, and, that, and that's where the, 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 the time span in the way that the, the penalty was called there, which, uh, you know, the thing, like, for them to take that long to call the penalty – was was really what bugged me and then of yeah. course like i was saying the conspiracy theory comes it was like oh there's and i i alluded to this in, in text messages with you guys oh there's the one first down that tom brady needed to get to the super bowl that's when the refs decided to call the penalty now and, that's hyperbole if you want to get course. into conspiracy theory then go ahead um there's plenty the conspiracy of conspiracy theory is a conspiracy theory for a reason <laughs> exactly it's not true right. it's bullshit Right. Uh, but, you know, I it's I agree with you, Jeff. I do. Um, I think it was a uh, it was it was a penalty. I'm not I'm not going to say it wasn't a penalty, uh, yeah. but but for for the for the weight of, of that moment in particular, let alone the, the uh, context of the entire game yeah. uh, for it to come down to, to the ref deciding how that game was going to end is uh, is a bit of a bummer. But, but that, so it's important now that we address the penalty that we come back and realize the Packers had every opportunity oh, in the yeah, world to win yeah. this game. They right? had two drives where they, where they picked off, off uh, Tom Brady. Somebody threw they, three interceptions, they three had, interceptions they, in the second half alone. Yeah. And on two of them, they go three and out 
And I think they got one first down and then punt it on the, that's other. the biggest thing. They didn't get any points off these turnovers. So and not they came only- out scorched, like, like bawling in the second half, like they came out hot, scored those two t- touchdowns right off the bat. And the bigger, the bigger killer was that Rogers interception killed them. Uh, MVS dropping the two point conversion killed them because uh, then you- Brown, I believe. Or uh, yeah, maybe it was uh, yeah. St. Brown. Yeah, it was St. Brown. You're right. Um, Equinanius St. Brown dropping the two point conversion kills them. And then, which is the bigger issue that I think people have from this game is the decision not to kick the field goal or to kick the field goal and not go for the touchdown on fourth down. And when it comes down to it and analytics has, has really clouded this, right? Because everyone online is an analytic hero. Everyone understands how it works. Everyone knows the math and I have a system and I looked at the numbers. None of us really know what any of that shit is unless you get paid to do it for a living. So I don't like to hear when people like that. Now you can take base things of it, but we don't know how it's made anything else. Let's just look at it this way, guys. Okay. You can kick the field goal, right? And you get the three points. It becomes a five-point game. You still need a touchdown, okay? If it's fourth down and you go for it and you don't get it, you save time on the clock. So chances are they're going to have to run. They're still going to have to run a play. And and they got lucky that that two-point conversion didn't, or the two-minute warning didn't get taken up on the kick return because that Buccaneers guy, Mickens, slid like inexplicably. I could not believe that. It literally looked like he thought he was trying to run the clock to keep it going to two. And it was a kick return, so it doesn't happen. It was one of the weirdest play. I was freaking out about that. And then I was um, subsequently, subsequently, how smart for the Packers to, uh, to, voluntarily take that that uh encroachment penalty so that they get an extra time out out of it too. Yes. which is and, so awesome because i do that in ncaa and football <laughs> like i've done that forever and i just love that someone's out there doing it, it it's a it's almost like when you know when Vrabel like manipulated the clock like those yeah. little things are are fascinating in the football sense but so you score the let's say you go for the touchdown you don't get it right let's say they do go for the touchdown you don't get it well, then they have the ball on their own seven with more time left on the clock. So you still get that two-minute warning convert, uh, convince. And either way, you need a freaking touchdown. The field goal does not help you one way or the other. And on top of it, you're saying that your defense, which hadn't been playing well all day, could go out there and make a stop against the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, who inexplicably is still playing at, at like the top, not the top of his career, but pretty damn close. It's it is mind boggling, right? I remember when the Eagles were playing in the Super Bowl and they got the ball back in that last um, like 30 seconds. It was or it was under a minute. I think it was 52 seconds left on the clock. And I was petrified. They had no timeouts and 52 seconds on the clock and they were on their own five yard line because they they fumbled the kickoff. And I was terrified. And guess what? On the Hail Mary, they still came within like three feet of potentially catching it. So when Tom Brady's on the field, the game is never over, no matter no. how much you think it is. No. And, and, I- th- that, and that is the side where the analytics drive me nuts. And, and Colin Cowherd gets a lot of shit for this, but he came up with the expression manalytics, right? Who are you as a person? And sports to me has always been a culmination of analytics and who you are as a human being, because it's a human sport. We are not robots. You cannot put numbers on us. And it's going to, I'm not us as if I'm an athlete, but like, you know, you cannot put numbers on them and expect that it's always going to be that way. You have to account for the person that it's there. And that is the problem, but with making these decisions purely off of analytics. And I don't know what Matt LaFleur was thinking. I, I just, I don't. Yeah, I, don't I do, either. but I don't get how he got to that. Spot. I watched this press game 
conf- post-game press conference afterwards. And you could tell, I mean, obviously he's disappointed. He just lost. And he said, I, you know, I didn't have my a game today. I, I, you know, it, it's disappointing letting so many people down. Like you could tell he was taking it pretty hard and he should. Um, but like, as I think that when you, he's going to go back and look at this game and look at that, it's going to be interesting to see how he approaches situations like this in the future. It's almost not as big, but it's, it has that same weight of like when Pete Carroll didn't hand the ball off. And then every time he got in the red zone, you were like, you knew he was handing the ball off and not running a rub route. It, it's going to be interesting to see how Matt LaFleur moves forward in his career. He's very young and he's going to have a bright career. So it's going to be interesting to see how this affects his uh, trust of analytics, how he goes for it and all that yeah. stuff. I mean, Doug, Doug more- Peterson's very similar, right? Like Doug mm-hmm. Peterson became famous for the, you know, you want fit, you know, the Philly Philly call the Philly special. And now and all of a sudden he's the guy with the giant balls and Throughout his career post Super Bowl as the head coach of the Eagles, we saw times where he was too aggressive, and then we saw a lot of times, particularly this year. Think about the tie. Remember the tie against Cincinnati? Oh yeah. And everyone's like, "You punched." I had a blackout that night. Yeah, I remember the tie. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Usually those things would would butt heads, though, Vito. Usually when you blackout, you you wouldn't remember. But it's because of the tie bet. Because right? of the tie, it, yeah. it was a special night uh, for for those listeners. Um, I'm a little bit of a degenerate and me and my best friends have uh, a tie bet. And anytime there's a tie in the NFL, we all drink out of a special bottle, take off work the next day and drink all night. So uh, can't, can't believe that we have to wait another year. Hopefully we get one next year, but anyway, can't get one in the Super point. Bowl. You cannot. No. I, no, but I, I, it just comes down to it. Matt, La, Matt LaFleur. I agree with you. There will be changes from this down the line. It's how he internalizes it. Does he internalize it as I'm going to let this bother me and affect me or because it's a fine line, right? It's a fine line of letting it drive how you are as a coach and what got you to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. But at the same time, you clearly got to change something. The more I thought about it today, the more it's, and I'm not sure this might be a bit of a bit of conspiracy too, but it kind of fits this culminating narrative of the last offseason and this season for for Green Bay. When they could have uh, drafted anyone else, they, they drafted Aaron Rodgers' heir apparent. And what the organization, and I don't know how much of a say LaFleur had in it, uh, what that tells Aaron Rodgers is that uh, that he's not – He's not good enough to, to carry them anymore by himself as he's done for his entire career. Uh, well, guess what? He did, and he's about to win the MVP. Um, so the decision to make that play call, when you think about it all uh, all in one, in, in one train of thought, it's possible that maybe LaFleur had a bit more of, of a statement in drafting uh, Jordan Love and, and – Maybe I don't know how much he trusts Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know. He also just had an MVP season. I, I think the trust is there. I think it's more – and to, to the other point, though, the draft, and this is what's really funny is we have to remember Aaron Rodgers fell in the draft and then was sitting behind Brett Favre and had the same th- – like, I know. I, th- I think the point is I think if anyone's comfortable with it – not comfortable because clearly I love the motivational aspect that everyone has talked about this whole season, right? It, it's just something that – I believe there's something there, whether it's just increased competition because it's better skill, whatever it is. 
so, I believe that um, he's been in those shoes. I don't think that he's going to be angry. I think he's just going to go in there in the next couple of years and know you're not beating me out. I'm going to leave. And he saw how Favre left. So it's going to be interesting how he handles this because he's been on the other side of the most dramatic retirement move on probably ever. Yeah. Well, he's coming to the Niners. So remember this too, Vito. Uh, Everyone was saying, you know, this was Aaron Rodgers' first home uh, NFC championship game in Lambeau. And technically it's, that's true as the starter, but he was also there his, his last year as a backup green Bay lost in the NFC championship game to Eli Manning. Uh, and oh, seven? proceeded yeah. to and proceeded to move on from Brett Favre shortly after that. Now, this being said, nothing about this should be about Aaron Rodgers. Nothing. Aaron I have Rodgers a fun still stat before he, before Aaron, I move Aaron, on for the Packers. <laughs> okay, well, Aaron Rodgers went thirty three of forty eight, three hundred and forty six yards and three touchdowns. And you can argue that the one interception should have shouldn't have ever happened because it was pass interference. And on top of that, he did that with a minimal running game. Like they had a pretty good running game. Like they weren't great, but Aaron Aaron Jones finished the game as the as the leading rusher, which doesn't make sense. I think he has got hurt backwards. Um, the two fumbles from him, they lost one. And the other one, no, yeah, it, Aaron uh, Aaron Jones finished the game as the leading rusher with twenty seven yards. Uh, Jamal Williams had twenty three, and AJ Dillon finished with seventeen. Sixty seven yards, and Aaron Rodgers was going up against a malicious front four from Tampa Bay. And, yeah. and that is something that needs to be talked about is Shaq Barrett was eating people a lot. It uh, was so Jason fun Pierre to watch. Paul. And the difference that Vita Vea made in the, in the middle, well, this is a guy yeah. coming up with a de, de, uh, debilitating ankle injury earlier in the year. And is one of the best pure run stuff stuffers in the NFL from that nose guard interior, interior D line position. People thought like, Oh, he'll play like 50% of snaps. Kind of like what, uh, uh, Aaron Donald did, the, you know, the week before he played the whole game and he balled out. And then on top of that, as uh, a whitehead, he ended up leaving from an injury and that's going to hurt them. And they did it without Antoine Winfield. So weirdly enough, it was like this reverse and, and they did a good job with blitzing, but primarily they were just getting pressure from the front four and green Bay never recovered and never learned how to adjust without having David Bakhtiari in. And yeah. And for all, I think his name is—I forget the the left tackle's name—who filled in for him, um, had been playing really, really well. He's kind of a utility lineman. He had starts at center, at right guard this year, and then started two playoff games at left tackle. And it just never—they never quite got used to that difference. And you're talking about one of the best tackles in football too, in Bakhtiari. And yeah. I, the thing I, I want to touch on the pass rush, which I love, because Shaq Barrett obviously he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. Like I saw that mm-hmm. guy grow up, and like. Learn from Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, you know, all these guys. And you led the, the league in sacks a year ago. Yeah. He's so fun to watch. And I think one of his best moves, and he pulled it yesterday, where he's running forward, stops, almost looks like he's going to reverse inside. But like, it's so subtle. His upper body moves, but his legs are still going full speed around you. And guys just like, all of a sudden, the second they see that, right, they have to react and respect the inside move. And then he's around it and at your quarterback. The pass rush from every position was crushing. Their coverage was better. And we didn't even mention the linebackers flying aside to side, the tackles that you're talking about on these running backs, they really held them. So, um, hats Devin off White. To his defense, man. I mean, De- Devin white is a, is a superstar in the making. And I was pretty, I, we were talking about him a few weeks ago, you know, the difference he made going into that, uh, New Orleans game, 
I mean, he, he had the interception, he had a forced fumble. And then on top of it, he had like 11 tackles in this game, Devin white finished with 15 tackles, 15 tackles. The next closest player had seven. It's, it's crazy the way the guy can, and on here's, here's a really interesting part of this breakdown too. Only nine of them were solo tackles. So what does that tell you? That Tampa Bay's defense flies to the ball. It's gang tackling. When one guy gets there, everybody's got to get there. And Tampa Bay's defense with Vita Vea in the middle, imagine if he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, in week five or, or early on in the season. We might be talking about a completely different team because of the, the difference he makes for them up front. I mean, he, he creates, lines with them healthy. Yeah. I mean, you're thinking about Ndamukong Sue, him, JPP, JPP yeah. Barrett on the outs. Like, just the amount of pass rushing ability right there is incredible. With Jack Barrett had three sacks. JPP had two sacks. Well, it was it was nuts to watch the. It's crazy. For as much as I praised the Green Bay offensive line last week, um, they just look lost against this pass rush. And and I was every time I was watching, they were they were getting after Aaron Rodgers, and it, he had nowhere to go because it wasn't one guy that was slipping through. It was four guys. So you're in the pocket, and you're Aaron Rodgers. You, you try to get out of out of one of these sacks and oh there's uh, Jason Pierre-Paul right in my face like the, and they were doing that consistently all game long it was it was unbelievable to watch yeah and and defensively for Green Bay you know we came in talking about Jair Alexander right and this has been a top five secondary when you talk when you talk about just ranking against pass defense this is a really really good secondary and they Adrian got absolutely Amos. worked and the crazy thing was the Green Bay run defense was excellent you know outside of the uh Leonard Fournette run playoff Lenny I mean that run that run by the way was amazing he did like yeah. one of everything that a running back would normally do he showed speed he made the spin spin move he had a six step arm he had a great jump cut just to even get to the outside and then he dives at the it was a hell of a run and no uh, one's talking about that next but gen then, stats said they had it was a 0.4 percent uh uh wow maybe to score a touchdown um, that's incredible on that run before when the run started and then he hops over Donovan Smith and then Adrian Amos gets circle buttoned into submission in the spin cycle. Well, Good Lord. I, I do want to talk about this offense because we've talked about yeah. every phase of this game, but the goat Tom Brady and that's where I was going to go. I love it because every player um, I saw there, I, I watched a lot of the post game interviews. I think that's one of the most, uh, fun things to watch about a team that knows they're about to go to a Super Bowl. One of my favorite quotes of all time is Joe Green talking about that precise moment when you know the next game you're going to be playing is a Super Bowl. It just doesn't get better. And that's like one of my favorite things that's always stuck with me. And I, so I listen to those players talk. Every one of them thanked Tom Brady and said how much he had made a difference. And you could tell this team middle of the season was was on a dip, right? A lot of people didn't know how far they'd make it in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, now they're back in the Super Bowl. And, and I think it's just really incredible. I think the leadership that you have there. Think about this. Last year, they had a quarterback that threw for 5,000 yards. It was just Jameis Winston. Like, they could ball out, but they didn't have a leadership aspect that Tom Brady brings. So, you Eating can look W's at this game. is not the best yeah. way to be a leader. Exactly. And, and, like, I think when you look at this statistically, yeah, he had three picks. He probably should have lost this game, in all honesty. Like, but those misses weren't that bad, I would say. Like, a lot of them were tipped up, and, yes, they were out of reach, but it, they weren't terrible. He played a great game. His decision-making, when to take shots, when not to, later it didn't work on. But that early Chris Godwin throw-up 
where he just tossed it up in the center of the field. Yeah. It was impressive. You could tell the mindset of the team was we are going out here to win. And that's what a guy like Tom Brady does. Just saying, fuck it. I'm slinging it. And trust me, I got to go one-on-one. So that's a great point uh, Vito, too. Cause I, and Tom Brady deserves a, a bulk of this conversation. Uh, he, he really does because the completion percentage we've talked about now for a few weeks, it's not going to be the 70 plus percent that Aaron Rodgers is because Tom Brady gets rid of the football when it's not there. Like he's really good about throwing it at people's feet, uh, you know, getting the ball out if it's not there and not forcing it. So to me, when I see that lower completion percentage, uh, it's less about the fact that Tom Brady is, is missing guys or whatever, but what he did on third down in this game, but the Bucks' offense did on third down. They were seven of nine in the first half on third down, with the average yards per third down being like eight, you know, down to distance was like eight yards to pick up the first down. Wow. Bill Barnwell tweeted this out. And Vito, I, I know you're going to love this. Scotty, you will too. You're a big stats guy. Yards per play broken down by downs. Okay. On first down, the average yards per play were, was 3.9. On second down, the average yards per play was 0.8 and on third down the average yards per play was 15.3 holy shit so they were seven of nine in the first half i don't know what they finished with uh, overall but they were still excellent on third down the entire game and, and you're talking largely third, third down, longs i mean we're talking based exactly, on those numbers <laughs> exactly it's it truly is like unbelievable what they did and we talked about it when we were talking about Josh Allen last week. And one of the signs why we're encouraged about him moving forward is how good he is in the red zone and on third down. And Tom Brady just put out a masterclass on what you have to do. That Chris Godwin catch, it's important to note, he had just dropped a very easy catch two, two. plays before that. Two of them. And it was third down. They threw the deep ball. Godwin catches it. And then the next play was the Leonard Fournette touchdown run. And just like that, when it seemed that it was a third and nine, they go from third and nine to then two plays later going 65 yards down the field and scoring a touchdown after it looked like the uh, Green Bay had made a couple stops and had gotten the game back to within a field goal. And just like that, it felt like Tampa Bay had all of the momentum again. Tom Brady has had three Hall of Fame careers, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way of putting it, Scott. It's a great way. <laughs> And so uh, you're absolutely right about about uh, his value to the team. And we talk about this a lot in baseball. And uh, I mean, Jeff, you follow baseball. Uh, Vito, I know you don't as much. Um, but one of the arguments in when we're talking about the MVP every year is, okay, well, is it the best player in the league or is it the person that actually added, as the title alludes to, the most value to his team? Aaron Rodgers is probably going to win this year because he was the best player in the league, uh, save for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but you cannot understate the fact that Tampa Bay is not anywhere near where they are in January, including going to the Super Bowl without Tom Brady there. And that's the value portion of that equation. So I think there's a debate to be had if you're going to talk about the most valuable player, I think it's Tom Brady. If you're going to talk about the best player in the league this year, statistics, football-wise, whatever, uh, it's Aaron Rodgers. But Tom Brady is the most valuable player in the league this year. And it's impossible to to really put like the context. And the, there's no number to say 
what Tom Brady has added to Tampa Bay. There right. is no statistic you can look Just to the and sniff say, test. yeah, yeah, right. It's that gut feeling. It's like what we were saying before. It's not. It can't all be analytics. You have to look at the manalytics. It's both. You have to understand both of those things. And what Tom Brady has added, like you said, leadership perspective, experience, um, and, and Vito, as you alluded to too, the way that so, your teammates talk to about you to the press and to other people is extremely telling about it. It's the same reason why when all the Carson Wentz stuff has gone on about him being a bad teammate and everything, I'm like, well, what does Jason Kelsey say about him? What does Fletcher Cox say about him? What are the people whose opinions matter to you say about it? It's the same reason why people get so worked up about sports media and, and hot take artists. You're like, find the ones that opinions that you, you respect and know what you don't know and go to them for the knowledge. That's how the only way you're going to learn. That's the only way you're going to be able to get better. And, and that is such an important element of what Tom Brady has added to this Tampa Bay team. In addition to the guy still got it, man. Yeah, Did you does. see that, that there was one throw that he re, it was an over the middle, like line drive 25 yards down the field. It was an absolute rope. Like I've seen Tom Brady yeah. make throws that go like, Oh, his arm's still pretty live. I hadn't seen him do that. In a he long some, time. He had some zen and in that game. The, the the best throw of the whole day was the Scotty Miller touchdown. Without pass. a doubt. That's what I was going to go to because that he threw that before Scotty gets past him. For and, and just let's back up and talk about that defense and everything that happened. Yeah. They go off to the sideline, they come back on, and Brady's just like, fuck it. Scotty's got the best matchup. I'm hitting our boy. I know he's going to talk about me on the podcast. I got to <laughs> get him the ball. So I mean, that throw, the timing of it, everything, um, to do it to a guy that short, quite honestly, going that hey. deep, it's just the truth, Scott. I'm shorter than you. Don't worry about it. But it, it's just incredible to see Brady, again, trusting these guys, taking the shots. But then, like, that confidence, that, that shit just gets all over your whole team. That permeates well, your whole I just team. knew I could get behind the secondary, and it was just a, a route that, Dude, that Tom and I had worked on in practice. It was great. I, it turned out the, the guy, the guy who got burnt on that King, I think is his last name, yeah. was the same guy who had the holding call. Did you see so his he, fourth thing? He he was also the guy who Mike Evans caught the touchdown over and looked down on. He also oh. let up the like, and he also got trucked by Fournette at the goal line when he scored. Like oh there was a four, uh, four picture uh, Instagram post, four picture all those pictures. And then it just said, uh, Tampa Bay's real MVP. <laughs> Seriously, man. And look, it's not easy. Like, and this is part of what we've talked about with Tampa Bay is that they just present so many options to you. And remember they did this without Antonio Brown, who going into this game had become a real problem for defenses. Like he really was coming into his own. And yet you add a Scotty Miller in there who, you know, they had worked on together. He had a, a bunch of really nice games throughout the year. So obviously Tom felt comfortable in him, but it's the same thing. Mike Evans had a bad drop before he caught his touchdown pass. Chris Godwin had a bad drop before he caused his down ball, uh, his, his deep ball. Like, and yet he, he still goes back to them. Like Tom still goes back to them time after time after time. Because if he trusts you and you drop a ball, but he, you have his trust still, he's still going to give you another opportunity. You just better not yeah. fuck it up the second time. And I yeah. thought that, that that play we were talking about, you know, they call a timeout, switch out the field goal team for everything else. That's a perfect example of the mind games that we hear talked about week in and week out that most NFL teams aren't affected by things like icing the kicker. Right. But this was one of those scenarios that when it happened in a high pressure game, it didn't work or sorry, it did. It did work rather. And it, it did. Uh, Green Bay was not prepared for it at all. So 
I, I love those little kind of minute things here. And, and all, honest to God, I mean, everything up until the last two minutes was just a spectacular football game. Yeah. And, and for green Bay, you had three oppor- three Tom Brady interceptions in the second half, and you didn't capitalize on any of them. That is a problem. And then on top of it with the best, arguably caliber quarterback when it comes between knowledge of the game and physical tools still left and Aaron Rodgers, and obviously he's been the MVP of the league this year. And you, you take the ball out of his hands to trust a defense that's been burned. Uh, I, I don't get it. Like I like Mike Pettin. He's literally, he is from my hometown. His dad is a legendary high school football coach at Central Bucks West, which was my rival high school, my school district. And he called and he coached at North Penn for a long time. And they were another rival from my high school. I know Mike Pitton very well. And it was so disheartening, honestly, that you see a situation where the Green Bay Packers can go to the Super Bowl and Aaron, they take Aaron Rodgers off the field. And the problem is, guys, and I think this is probably the reason I was so bummed out about the way that the game ended was that I knew the second the flag came out, that is all anyone's going to talk about. They're going to talk about the field goal and they're going to talk about the penalty and nothing else from this incredible game is going to be acknowledged. Not just now, not just the next morning, but for however long we remember this game, this will go down as similarly to the, uh, the Minnesota New Orleans game where or Minnesota LA or sorry, one more time, New Orleans and LA game with Roby Coleman when he came in and blew up, uh, I think it was Cooper cup too early and they get the, you know, the first down call. It's going to go into that. Like, and it's not the same thing, but yeah, it's going it's to go. It, it's, but it's going to go into that category. Cause it honestly, Vito, it doesn't remember if it's the same. It doesn't matter if it's the same level or not. What matters is how people I, remember it. And I guess people I remember, remember it differently. It I think but a you're lot of, also a huge football fan. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And when penalties happen late, like you said, it, it deflates the game, especially again to your point that this was feeling like it was an all-timer. And uh, yeah, I'm glad at least it we got that all-time game feel for a while there. Um, it was special to see. I, I man, I know we got another game to get to, but I just can't even like wait for this Super Bowl matchup between these quarterbacks. Yeah. It's yeah. Ex- it's exciting, man. It's exciting. And before we move on here, I did have a couple of like non-football things that I picked up from from this game that I I wanted to bring up. The first was, did y'all see uh our man Dickie V on Twitter at all? Oh, he was, he was up doing? Twitter. Pepto Bismol no. all day long. I think I think he's got a <laughs> I think he's got a deal with Pepto Bismol. Because this man tweeted out a a picture, like an old man selfie of him with a bottle of Pepto like next to him being like, Oh baby, the Tampa, Tampa Bay is giving me heartburn. I need Pepto B baby. I, I need the Pepto B baby. And then like 10 minutes later, like not like an hour, like 10 minutes later, it was still like the third quarter. And he tweeted out another one, the same picture from just a slightly different angle. No saying, way. Saying, On the Lorraine, couch, yeah. Lorraine, I need, I need the Pepto, baby. Bring me the Pepto. These bucks are giving me heartburn. And I'm just sitting there like, what is Dickie V doing, man? Oh my God. It's amazing. Oh, he, it was, that, I, was fun. that was he's great. A, he's a legend. He's I a have- legend. I've got a good one for you from outside of football this game. Yeah. My big takeaway. Um, anyone who cares about Premier League, it's all going to relate. Don't worry. But real quick, <laughs> insert Premier League soccer. Man United beat Liverpool to secure the top like seed in the table. I mean, they're the top uh, spot right now. Um, yeah. 
obviously this is still a long way to go, but still it's, it's an amazing thing to do. Beat Liverpool to be there. The owner of Manchester United is the owner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yesterday, not only did his team that he owns in England become best in, you know, first place in the best soccer league of the world, his football team has a home Super Bowl with Tom Brady as his quarterback. And that both both of those things were secured in the same day. That dude had a Sunday. It's a pretty good Sunday. Yeah, I'll say. I got two things from this game and they're both football related. Well, one, Aaron Rodgers. Don't worry, Mike Shanahan or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kyle Shanahan will let you throw the ball around when you come back home to San Francisco. Uh, the other is, did you guys know with that win, Tom Brady will has played or will have played in 18% of the Super Bowls that have ever happened. That's crazy. That's insane. That's nuts. And then the fact uh, that he's going to his 10th championship game. Yeah. That's is insane. just is, it, is it blows my mind. A record that he already owned. And the, well, the, not, not if you count autogram and his 10 straight championships, which I do. So Super but, Bowl. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. The other is uh, there's only one other quarterback and this is related to Aaron Rodgers. There's only one other quarterback to win three MVPs without having multiple championships. Can you name him? Brett Favre. Yep. yep. I saw that. I saw, that, I saw, I saw uh, that stat already. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. And that's, that's, that is, you know what that is? That is sports karma right there. All right. Because the Green Bay Packers and Packers fans, I saw Liz Gonzalez, who's a, a barstool uh, person. I don't know exactly what her title is, but she's a content creator for Barstool. She has podcasts and, and videos and whatnot. She's a diehard uh, Green Bay Packers fan. She posted this video of her like holding back tears, talking after watching Aaron Rodgers' press conference where he was like talking about being thankful for this year and kind of honestly putting the future of him with the Green Bay Packers in doubt. And it was, and I like her a lot, so I feel bad saying this, but it was embarrassing, dude. It was embarrassing. She she acted as if like a family member died. And chances are he's going to be a Packer next year because he's under contract for three more years. So unless Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers goes, Hold you on. know, burned, burned earth and just decides, nope, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to get the hell out of here. Le'Veon Bell style, which as we saw with Le'Veon historically, that doesn't work in the NFL, works in the NBA, does not work in the NFL. And I just thought like, like what are you doing? Like, anyway distracted from the point green bay fans have been blessed with two of the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the position and have had now 30 years of it consistently the fact that they only get two super bowls out of it actually is kind of the perfect uh you know karma here for for the sports world yeah that's yeah that's a crazy take about it in that span but yeah i mean think about teams that have gone from nothing and came to something gone back and like teams that have won two super the giants have won two super bowls in that span Mm mm-hmm probably yeah did they win one in 80s so i guess more uh i guess no because no, far was, was 91 yeah yeah, like yeah. Start yeah. anyway that's sorry. crazy jeff you made a great point earlier about uh tampa bay having a lot of weapons they didn't even have antonio brown in this game i think we mm. switched focus to another team that has a shitload of weapons on their offensive side sure uh, the Kansas city chiefs the kansas city chiefs uh are an absolute wagon and the one thing I felt vindicated on was both of you guys were on the Buffalo Bills pretty hard and uh, going into this week. And though chalk didn't hold all together, Tom Brady kind of throws it out of the equation here with the Packers um, in Kansas city. As long as Mahomes is going to be partially healthy, I was going to hammer Kansas city. Uh, like I said, and, and what this felt like guys, and, and I don't know how you all saw it. 
it felt like Josh Allen just wasn't quite ready for the moment. Um, you know, he, he was not sharp really at any point in this game and they got spotted nine points out the gate. But what we've seen now in the playoff run, the chiefs made last year and already this year. And frankly, it seems like a lot from this year when they were down against, you know, struggling a game against Atlanta late in the season, right. In these kinds of games is Kansas city is the first football team I've ever seen that is able to just flip a switch. It's the one game. It's the one sport. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And, and honestly, you're not really supposed to do it in any sports, but the best of the best have been able to do that in baseball, in basketball. You're not supposed to be able to do that in football. Well, I think that's a good point. I think it's also because, so well, I was going to say, I think it's because they have three guys that are doing that right now, all yeah. at the same time to your point. Yeah, no. And that's exactly right. And, and there has never been a team that has a weapon like Tyreek Hill and also a rep, a weapon like Travis Kelsey, like Scott and I were talking before the show about Travis Kelsey versus Gronk, right? Like, like in the, how people, we don't really talk about the comparison that much. I know Bill Simmons does. Cause you know, he's a new England guy and he's always going to go back and he's a huge Gronk fan. And frankly, again, we talked about approval ratings before, has there ever been someone with a, like, as high an approval rate rating on a team as disliked as New England? Like maybe Reggie Jackson on the Yankees or something. I don't know, like a really likable player, <laughs> but then one, was also like on a dominant team. And, and Gronk is just loved by people. But I think it's a real conversation now, especially if Kansas City, if he's able to match, because Gronk right now has three three Super Bowl rings from his time with New England. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He will have equally, or at least be in the same realm when talking uh, rings with Travis Kelsey versus Gronk. But what Travis Kelsey does as wide receiver is better than what Gronk did. Gronk got open because he had one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who specialized in throwing to the tight end better than any other quarterback in the NFL. And it was a much older school. It wasn't this at least new, exciting form of football that the chiefs play. Like the chiefs are 10 steps ahead of everybody else in the NFL right now. And they can do that because of the personnel that they have. Andy Reid's offense. Yeah. But they, they use, you know, tra- uh, Travis Kelsey in such a, a really brilliant and unique way that that makes him a, a truly defining character. And on top of it, we've never seen someone play the game at the speed that Tyreek Hill plays. So when you combine those two who are arguably generational players as far as what they bring to the table and how they've helped revolutionize their position, on top of arguably the most talented quarterback who's ever played in the NFL, you're going to be allowed to do that stuff, no question. But that's a good point, Vito. They don't, they're not able to flip the switch without all three of them. And it's incredible to see them all do it. Um, and, and I think when we take this all in, I know, I mean, just in reflection on this game, I was super high on the Bills. I wanted the Bills to win. I was rooting for them hard. Uh, I thought they could have done it. Their defense, it was just one of those things where you're looking and you're like, oh, shit. They can shut down any other team. That's fine. But the Chiefs are on another tier offensively. Especially in that first quarter, I thought that. Well, it was funny when when I know leading into this game, we were talking about it. Of these four championship um, teams, only like I, I of all of these teams that are that were left this weekend, the Chiefs had the worst offense, and so it was interesting statistically. But like you knew, we all knew, we talked about it. It wasn't the case. You could feel that it was different. Man, did they turn it on! And not only did they, the defense, um, the defense played pretty damn well at times and i think some of that coverage 
they kept showing it. And I don't know to your point, Jeff, if Josh was just not ripping him like he was before, if he was more cautious, but like, um, man, he, he didn't look like himself. And it's funny because the first thing I thought of when I saw his face and it happens almost every time I see him play, it's like, that guy doesn't look like he knows what the fuck is going on. And I know he does very intelligent. He just has like, and not a resting bitch face, like a resting kind of dumb face. And now, Eli Manning. He's got a, he's got a little bit of Eli Manning face. And yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a little does. different. It's just it's just kind of like spacious. Like I just want to go out there and play ball. And like it's like that golden retriever look. Like yeah, let's go play ball. But like kind of just like kind of blank. He has that. It's like nothing it else matters different. than what's exactly happening in front of him. It's it's being able to be present in the moment, which is a very unique skill. It is, and it's advantage, but it's a huge advantage. But I think the difference was today is that golden retriever reference he wasn't as excited he wasn't out there trying to win he, he even after up nine oh i don't know if the pressure or what it was he wasn't acting like a normal josh allen on the sideline and there's just something different about this game it had a different feel right away and uh man i really hope that that whole bills team learns and grows from this i hope i hope we get to see him more but um the chiefs defense stepped it up and i know they said it on this game but i can't believe the chiefs are 16 and one this season when they play their starters the fuck like yeah i mean and that's the thing right and on top of that they did that after playing a schedule because when you win a super bowl you then get the hardest schedule in the nfl the next year which at the end at least projected hardest schedule in the nfl like you you play a first place schedule when you win your division so ultimately they had to play the best team from every that at least from the year before in every division around around the football i'm not gonna make take too many victory laps on this pod but I do really want to take a victory lap here because what the Chiefs did defensively, and this is what I was talking about at the end of last week's show, because you guys were talking about, you know, the Baltimore Ravens defense is so much better statistically. And, and you're right. They are. They are a better defense on, on paper. And even a lot of times when you're watching games, but in this specific matchup, I and, and also having the luxury of watching a different style of defense fail the week before, I knew that Steve Spagnuolo was going to come in and, and do whatever he could to make sure that Stefan Diggs didn't beat them. And here's a Bags. perfect, here's a perfect stat for that, right? Stefan Diggs finished with six catches for 77 yards. Would you think to yourself, that's not that bad, right? That's a, that's a pretty good day for most wide receivers. What was his first little catch? down from him? The targets, he had 11 targets. Right. So that is a what 60 or 55 percent completion percentage when throwing to him this year. That speaks volumes to a the fact that Josh Allen was probably a little off today. And I think that's what I said before. Just felt like the moment was a little too big for him this year. But B, what they did defensively to prevent the ball from getting to Stefan Diggs. And a lot of those throws are oh, he's not open because he's double covered. I'm throwing it out of bounds. I'm throwing it out of the back of the end zone. And that is a, is an absolute testament to the job that Steve Spagnola did going into this week. And the Chiefs defense is built to play playoff football. They're solid on the back end. Breland's played really, really well. And they have Frank Clark and Chris Jones, who is an absolute – Chris Jones is the most under-talked about interior defensive lineman in all of football because he is a top – at least the top five, maybe even a top three at that position. He, in the beginning of the game, um, him, he got on the line and it was a run play that didn't go anywhere, whatever it was. The Bills did not run well today. TJ Yeldon making way more of an impact on this game than I thought, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, but as he gets up, he stands. You know, the ref always tries to break people up, and there was, a, you know, it was a little chippy in, the, in this one too. But, um, 
he gets up and stands and points at the lineman and is talking mad shit to all the Bills offensive linemen and is not moving. The ref's trying to push him and he's not moving. And the ref's not going to like, sorry, you're a ref. You're not pushing Chris Jones. And it was incredible to watch the mind game and just the dominance. And I think this whole Kansas city team, the experience and the hunger to win again. And just like that mentality, I know, um, Mahomes talked about Kobe and, uh, and everything like that and how he, he mirrors a lot of his competitiveness in the last year from Kobe and his mentality. And it's just incredible to see it work on not just the offense, the defense, they totally had the bills offensive line, their skill position players and their quarterback all off their game. Yeah. Uh, shout out to the chiefs defense uh, because uh, they scored more than uh, I think they averaged about nine points in fantasy league. Uh, for me, um, that was that was my defensive choice. In the middle of the year, I picked them up, and uh, I knew that there was something special about them. And I'm just so proud of them. No, I don't care. Um, no, but but they're they're a solid unit. They played like it in the regular season. Um, and they like like you said, Vito. They they have the experience. They know what it takes to win. Um, they know that it takes uh, maybe in the Super Bowl getting Jimmy Garoppolo to overthrow a wide-open Emmanuel Sanders. But they still played a great game in, in the Super Bowl last year. And I think uh, I it's it's going to be fun to watch because last year I don't think they had to deal with as many weapons as they will this year against Tampa Bay. We'll get into the, the preview later. But Oh, I, there's, a lot, there's a lot of concerns there yeah, um, in, uh, in that matchup. But credit to, to Kansas City's defense for recognizing that the, the Bills' game plan begins and ends with Stephon Diggs and just shutting him down was the, the biggest key in that whole thing. You know, like Josh Allen finished with 88 rushing yards. And I think that was, again, it's a conscious effort. You know, because honestly, like in, if we talked about this game last year, we would say that the biggest threat that could knock off the Chiefs, Chiefs would be Josh Allen scrambling for like 90 yards and scoring a touchdown and wasn't necessarily bidding with your arms, but then made a couple big plays at the end. And it's completely flipped. And again, that's because Josh Allen has become a really, really good quarterback. And now you have to – him running becomes the secondary thing you're worried about. So he said, all right, look, if, if, we get a, if we get gashed a couple times while we're deep in coverage trying to prevent Josh Allen from going off, and he runs for 80 yards, 88 yards, okay, cool. That's fine with us. Because outside of that, they got 17 yards from Devin Singletary. 15 yards from TJ Yeldon and they ran the ball with Isaiah McKinney twice. One of which was at the very end of the game for nine yards. All right. So they did a great job of stopping the traditional run, but if they're going to say, all right, fine, we're going to protect our coverage more than we're going to let worry about Josh Allen run for 20 yards up the middle. He had an 18 yard run, seven carries for 88 yards. Um, But ultimately guys, Kansas city goes where their offense goes. And they can outscore anybody. And I know we're coming, we're going to talk about a little bit, a a way too early preview here coming up between what we think the Super Bowl is going to look like between the Chiefs and and the Buccaneers and our storylines and some of the things that we're looking forward to in that game. It's It's important to remember that even if Tampa Bay scores 40 points, Kansas City can drop 50 in the Super Bowl without blinking an eye. They, they really can. And they're going to have a banged up Antonio Winfield. And we've not heard about what's what the report is from Whitehead, but that looked like either separated shoulder or collarbone. 
they had him holding his arm at the, at the right angle, which is never a good sign when you're talking about shoulder injuries. So, and maybe that was precautionary, you know, maybe it, maybe it's not good. I'm sure there, he got an MRI and, and we'll find out about that in a couple of days, but if they are weak in the back end of their secondary, Kansas city is going to have a lot of deep throws that are open. Well, and but we said that about because Aaron they Rogers have the fastest guy in out. the NFL. Yeah. You said that and about what Aaron did, Rogers, but what right? happened? Yeah. But what happened when Aaron, when they, when he went out against Aaron Rodgers, he went and threw two touchdown passes to open up the second half. Yeah. Like Aaron, right. like we, we can't talk about just because Aaron Rodgers lost the game. Doesn't mean that we can't talk about like, Aaron Rodgers threw for 350 yards. Yeah. He, can, he went 30 of 48. Like, and, and he had three touchdown passes. Like, but you're, like they're like he he torched them. He absolutely torched them. You're right, Jeff. And, the, and Pat Mahomes it, has more weapons. They go where the, the offense goes, and Pat Mahomes does have a lot of weapons, two of which have done it all season long. I did some math since week eight. Uh, among Tyree, well, both Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, they're both averaging mm. about eight catches. Uh, one, well, Tyreek's eight, one twelve, and a touchdown. Since week eight, and that includes the two uh, two uh, playoff games. Travis Kelsey's at eight one fourteen and a touchdown. That's Since ten week... straight games of averaging yeah. eight and one hundred and ten and a touchdown That's from insane. two guys in your offense at the and, same time. And five of those eight, uh, five of those weeks, um, they were both Tyreek and Travis Kelsey were both over eight catches and a hundred yards. That's insane for for you to just even those two guys. Then you throw the other guys in the mix, and we've been talking about it all year. You throw the other guys in the mix like Hardman and uh, and 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 uh, Robinson gets in there every once in a while. And uh, well, and who came back for the game last yeah, night? Watkins, had a touchdown. Watkins, well, yeah. Well, Clyde Edwards Elaire. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the difference that like and Daryl Williams has been playing really good, but Clyde Edwards Elaire comes in that offense. And he, this is the first time we saw the impact that I think we thought we would see in the way that defenses have to adjust to someone like Clyde edwards Lair. And ultimately, Buffalo didn't have the horses. They, they just didn't have the guys defensively to keep up with it. That being said, I don't know if anybody would. I don't know if the, the 85 Bears could stop this offense. And, oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Like uh, Mike Singletary would do it single-handed. And and here's the thing that's really crazy, guys, because we think about, well, like, in that Atlanta game, well, how does Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey get 100 yards, average 100 yards in a game that they won 21 to 17? Like, how does that make sense, right? It's because they supplement the running game, their traditional running game, with short passes. And when when they need to keep the clock moving in the fourth quarter to burn time, they will throw. They're going to throw short passes, but it's because they're, they they basically just replace their running game with short passing games. And it's able to keep the clock continually running, especially in games when they're winning big. And it allows for these guys to catch passes. And then the scariest part about that is the more you hit on the short passes, the more likely the deep ones will, will be open when you go to make them. And now, that is ultimately what happens. Now, if I'm, if I'm Tampa's defense, though, I not only go look at <clears> – <throat> where you screwed up in, in week 12. But I go look at the last time that a, a defense successfully shut down uh, any of any of those threats like that was week seven. The Denver, Vito, you'll be happy. The Denver Broncos <laughs> defense did a job. Oh, yeah. Tyreek Hill had a stinker. Uh, Travis Kelsey had a stinker. Mahomes had a terrible game. And that defense, to their credit, and, and I think – I think Tampa's defense at this point probably has more talent on it, top to bottom, except if we're 
uh, worried about their their two safeties. Uh, I I if I were Tampa, I'd go back and look at what the things that that Denver did and and try to figure out how they shut down that Kansas City offense. I just went back to look at what the second loss was because I couldn't remember for Kansas City. Remember they lost Week One to the Chargers. Was that it? No, that was Week Seventeen. That was Week Seventeen. That was the second loss. Oh, the week- first one was against Vegas. That okay. Was- yeah. Okay. No, that makes way more sense. They have yeah. it. They have it flipped in the way oh, that they do okay. it. Okay. Okay. That makes way more sense. Yeah. I was like, wait, I don't remember this shit at all. What are you yeah. talking talked about? about? That opening that's, game. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I would have been burned in my memory. No, I mean. Yeah. Just like you just look at the point totals in every game, right? It's easier to count the amount of games that they didn't get over 30 points than it is to count the ones that they did. Well, I mean, you see, I, I see one, two, three, four, only five games this year. They haven't scored more than 30 points. Wow. That that often it's fun too. And you know they can burn you all those different ways. You talked about the play designs, they they have so much creativity. Um I don't know. The only thing I can compare it to is like when you're playing a video game and you've beaten it and you have all the gear and you're just running yeah. around and just murking everybody. Like that's what Kansas City is doing so, with football. Can we can we take a second here to look a little big picture on this? Do you guys mind? Because I think this is I think this is worth talking about. I just finished rewatching The Last Dance, uh, which was the Michael Jordan documentary. If you don't know about it, and you're listening to this pod. I don't know who you are because not enough people listen to it right now. Anyway, um, but the one of the interesting things about dynasties and like really, really brilliant teams is that rise to getting to a a dynasty. It's a bigger picture version of the rise to get to your first championship, right? It's really hard to do. And you have the whole season from week one, you're slowly building up and then you get to the point like, man, like we're here. And then the next year, everybody wants to tear you down. You're the number one target. Everyone wants to knock you out and beat off the champ. For a dynasty, winning your first championship is like getting through your first five games of a regular season. And then winning your second championship is like getting up to your, you know, the 10th game of the season. Your third gets you into the playoffs, right, and going on. And it's always what's what's going to happen after those. And this can be spread out over a few years. And, again, this is more of a meta kind of thought process. But I think we we need to recognize that when, when something happens that is almost unexplainably brilliant and – what Patrick Mahomes has been since coming into the NFL. I think we, you, you have to take a moment and realize we might be at the beginning of witnessing something that could be the next 10 years of legitimate dynasties. And the public says that they don't like dynasties, right? They always get mad at it because eventually the public does turn on you. Just like no one thought we could hate the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and the, this assimilation of the most likable players in the NBA. And yet people did. People got really sick of the Warriors. I don't and know Kevin why. Durant, Kevin Durant had, had a certain aspect in that as well. But we're watching, a, I think, the beginning of what could be a potentially like the greatest run that we've ever seen. And I think trying to appreciate it in the moment is something that can be really valuable as sports fans because in 20 years, 30 years, and we're talking to our grandkids about when Patrick Mahomes first came into the league, it will be really cool to be like, I sat down and made sure I watched it because I knew I was witnessing something special. Yeah. Just make sure you draft him in fantasy. I exactly. Thanks Scott. I think the, the most important part, and I agree with everything you said. And one of the most important parts is that, it sets us right up into this game where you're talking about the greatest dynasty quarterback ever moving 
and at the end of his career, moving to a different location and playing him in a Super Bowl, right? They couldn't have played in a Super Bowl when they were both in the AFC. So now what do we have here but an incredible story that really could be that extra, like you said, mountaintop that he's going to reach where not only are you winning a Super Bowl, if you can knock off Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, it's pretty goddamn impressive. Uh, good luck to you. Good, uh, this game is going to be crazy. But the point is the story behind it. If on his way to greatness and dynasty, Mahomes can beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, that is something, right? Eli beat Tom Brady, and it was like, all right, that was the best of Eli's career. And Mahomes it was the defense, has, by the way. It was the oh, defense in doubt. both Super Bowls that won that Super Bowl, not Eli Manning. And, and it took and, an act and of some God. catches and yes, a couple it took of amazing an act of God catches with David Tyree. And I would make the same argument for Nick for, Foles, like like the Eagles Super Bowl against Tom Brady. That was an act of God. That wasn't, or, or maybe even more so than that. I just actually rewatched the Jason Kelsey "Hungry Dogs Run Faster" Super Bowl speech. Right? They did like that team yeah. just wanted it more. It was a special once in a generation type of culmination in energy and potential and, and just everything that came and an attitude. And it was the right, perfect combination of things. It felt it, that team felt like the Ravens when they got together at Ray Lewis's end, right? The teams can go the on exception. Those runs. It's the exception that proves the rule. Exactly. And this is the rule. This is the team that is on their way to winning. I think a lot of championships, I'm fucking scared. I'm in their division. Uh, I like we're about to see this, but to your point, Jeff, I, I think I'm lucky and my friends always make fun of me for this, but I love greatness. Like it, I, I love anything. That's great. I fucking great. love it. I can't get enough of it. And what we're going to get out of Mahomes and Brady um, in this game, but Mahomes the rest of his career, think about this, right? He is already, he's not even, what, how old is he? 24. He's not 25 yet, is he? Or or is he he's 25. He's one or the other. But the point is, is that he's that young. And it was one of those moments where you're thinking about where you were doing when you were 24, 25, and like what's going on. You're like, <laughs> what I'm doing right now. I'm talking about somebody who does things way better than me, who's the same age as I am. I think the point though is that like not even give give anyone the skill that he has. That his True. mentality yeah. and his drive to get better and just like the professionalism, but somehow still to come out and just like have such a unique personality and everything. I just give him such a a big credit for being, you know, a star in his own right. Does yeah. that make sense? No, a hundred percent. And I love what you said about greatness, right? I have a there's a guy I work with, his name's Jeff Rickard. He worked at ESPN for a long time. Um he had a saying that I absolutely loved and I've, I've thought about it a lot, which is I will watch anybody who is the best in the world at what they do, regardless of what it is. If yeah. you're the best logger, right. And you're the best person at chopping down trees. I would love to watch you play. I think of darts all the time. Like that's always the example of whoever the best dart dart thrower is in the world. It blows my mind when you see them hit triple 23 times Dude. in a row. Like, it's literally like, and you have to have an appreciation for that. Let me drop this stat here on you guys. Emmanuel Acho tweeted this out, and it it literally blew my mind. Patrick Mahomes will play in two Super Bowls and win an MVP without ever losing a game or before ever losing a game in the NFL by more than one possession. <laughs> That's not fair. He could win... He could win Wait, two what? Super Bowls with two uh, uh, Super Bowl MVPs before losing a game by more than one possession. He's That's never not... lost a game. By I think 
Yeah, he's not lost Holy a one possession shit. game. My since brain I believe just it was exploded. Uh, I and believe the last one the last possession time? game he lost was go ahead, Jeff, because I think I know what this is. Isn't November nineteenth, twenty sixteen against Iowa State when he was <laughs> Texas Tech, Iowa State. Yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> how that's how nuts. freaking insane is that? That's nuts. And I, I say can't, I like, honestly can't believe that. That's I've that's said, the most incredible thing I think I've heard about all of his incredibleness and stats. I've said and, it before. And that's why I saved it for this, because it, it it's it blows my mind, man. That like, really greatness. is that great. That's I've said it greatness. before on this podcast. I've said before, like people talking about Tom Brady, and yeah, you'd be pissed at him for doing what he did and like uh, moving to Tampa Bay this year, or whatever. You're you're you have this um, dynasty annoyance somehow. I don't understand how anyone has that, but it's um, but like for the love of God, like it takes way more effort for you to not like what you are seeing in front of your eyes, your witness to history. than it is for you to just sit back every Sunday, enjoy what you're watching, realize that you're witnessing greatness. Just let it happen, man. Patrick Mahomes is at the end of the day, he's going to be in the same conversation with the guy who's going to be on the other side of the field of him as a QB. hundred percent. Like why can't we just down to, it, it comes down to insecurity, like, and that's what it is. Sports has become this release for people, right? It's the same reason why I get frustrated when I would hear fans of college football call in and be like, man, we just, we really needed college football this year. You know, we just, we really needed it. And I was like, did we need it during a pandemic or did we want it to give us a sense of normalcy? Yeah. And that's what it did because that is ultimately what it comes down to. And in sports, you always look at these things as, oh, I want it to be a release or whatever. And if your team never has a shot, then it's easy to take shots at these people. Because like, as I've said before, these guys are the closest thing we have in the world to real life superheroes. That's what, that's what pro athletes are. They jump higher, they throw balls further. They do things physically that you're not supposed to be able to do as a normal human. And therefore we treat them differently because of it. We as a collective public. And it's problematic because at the end of the day, we're watching, you know, you watch a kid who's 18 years old. And that's a big argument that people have against, you know, name, image and likeness. I think the main reason people don't want college kids to get paid is they don't want to see an 18 year old kid making more money than they did playing a game when they might be 40 and sitting on a couch. Right. That's so, so weak, man. That's it, so it weak. is, it is, but it's a human thing. Humans are motivated off of insecurities. It's one of the biggest driving factors and whether we're consciously doing it or subconsciously doing it, I think it plays a role. And that's again, a much bigger conversation for another day. We don't have to keep going down that rabbit hole, but we should just be able to sit down and watch this kid do what he does and just be like, oh, my freaking God. And Vito, you're a fan of a, of a rival, and yet you still are able to sit down and and, and love what he does for the sport of football. It, oh, it's yeah. unbelievable. I, I mean, you have to. I And we've all said it. I, I just think that, like, when you're seeing someone performing like that, if you're not inspired and you're you find, to your point, you're, you're taking out hate and you're, and you have negative feelings towards other people succeeding. That's just not a way to go through life. Like it's just no, not, man. uh, you're, you, you're not frustrating them. You're only frustrating yourself. Yeah. So like that energy isn't getting to them. It's wasted. And, um, that's, that's, I, I just, there's Hell, a lot even, of stuff on that. Even like, I like watching I, Russell Wilson. I mean, Jesus, like, come on. <laughs> but no, I, I do think that it's a really good point to bring up Jeff because sports this year has, 
whether we needed them or wanted them, they've meant a lot this year. And, that's definitely true. And so it's, um, you know. And look, pro, pro sports, I don't have an issue with pro sports coming back. It's the fact that we're asking amateur athletes to come back and risk themselves and their safety and ask them to go through what they mentally and emotionally had to go through without doing anything other than playing a game and being told that it's because of what it means to be an athlete and what it means right. to this college. In reality, what it means is that if they weren't playing games and they weren't doing this, that their local economies would fall through because of how like literally collapse because of the amount that college sports brings to small, small tour. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that is such a, an impossible weight to ask someone who you are not paying. And again, pay college athletes or don't, we can have that conversation on another day. And I would absolutely love to. I would love to, too. I think that's a great combo to have. But ultimately, the weight is still on these kids' shoulders, and we're still asking them to go out and risk their lives and potentially their careers. I mean, you guys are both Penn State fans, and Journey Brown's never playing a snap again. Yeah. And yeah, we had, he, and, and, and he, look, he had heart issues after having COVID. We don't know if they're related. But if it is, that's a big deal for this kinds of thing. So, again, with all of the negativity of the last year and everything that's gone on, to have a matchup like this, we're looking forward to have sports in our life has meant a lot to the collective mental health of America. But that's also because we've become so sports obsessed as a culture, yep. which I pl- I play into. As much I as, am you know, too. You know, we're, we're doing a podcast, guys. We're, we're leading the charge. <laughs> like literally, like we're as guilty of it as anybody. What? We can also hopefully sit back and just appreciate yes. everything that, that we've yeah. seen here because it, it really is amazing. Um, and before we move off from this game here, getting back to it, Buffalo fans, I am very sorry it ended the way that it does. I think there was a, there was a vibe in this game, which was almost like, you know what? We're kind of just happy to be here. And the future is extremely bright. You have Stefan Diggs for a long time. You have Josh Allen for a long time. Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, when they're both healthy, it's a formidable thing. Sure up that offensive line, get the defense, you know, draft some, you know, look where Patrick Queen was drafted this year, right? And the difference he yeah. made on Baltimore's team. There are guys out there that can help. And going back to what we talked about with the Packers and drafting Jordan Love, there's a left tackle somewhere in that first round that they could have drafted instead of Jordan Love. There's a cornerback, somebody that could have played ahead of King. They didn't go for it because they decided now's the time that we need to draft our backup. Buffalo, you're in a great spot right now. The future is bright. There's a, have a little bit of Carson Wentz, you know, returning to the mean a little bit here with Josh Allen. Like, if we look back and 40 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, whatever it was that he finished with is the best year of his career. I wouldn't be shocked. I honestly wouldn't after watching what Carson Wentz did that year. And then Carson Wentz was a better quarterback that year than Josh Allen was this year. And they're two in their two best seasons. And yet he became somebody who we don't even know if he's going to be an NFL starter in two years. So Allen also stayed healthy. So, and Allen, I hope that's the last comparison we get to make of the two. Cause I just, I hate that comparison because I don't want him to become Carson Wentz. <laughs> not well, that because it's not accurate. Yeah. It's because I'm scared of it coming true. Uh, yes. My, my two things from this game, uh, two big takeaways were number one. Um, okay. You know, and obviously it's, it's actually a fucking hilarious play. I think when Josh Allen throws the ball at, um, Oh God, whose head was it? Uh, Alex Okavors. And like just tosses it at his helmet and then he stands over him. And then the chiefs come running or the, the bills line comes running his defense. One of the most fun things was just them sitting there 
and as the refs yelling out names, the other refs like screaming the numbers at the at the referee, like the you know one of the side judges. So he's like, <laughs> when they're he's like calling the all penalties. the he's calling all the penalties. He's like, well, it's this, you know, it's against um, well whoever on the defense. And then uh, seventeen on the offense, and the uh, other side judges are saying like 57, 57 on the offense, fifty four, fifty four on the offense. Well, all of these penalties on the offense, and then because there's one on the defense, my favorite part about it is like they're all negated. Uh, and they were after the play, so nothing happened. And it's just like, okay, thank God. I love how the Bills just earned every ounce of that penalty. I always talk about this. Like, if you're going to commit a penalty, make it count or don't make yeah. it count. And the fact that they got to draw one little thing of him standing over Josh Allen and they got all that anger out, good for you, Bills. Honestly, good for you. Yeah. My, my other thing was um, with this game, I I don't know exactly how to – display the or say this correctly but i'm gonna try in that i think that this was a game where a city realized um that they actually made a difference in a game again and why i say that is because i was watching buffalo do um styling counts their guard looked back turned in front moved his hand forward so that the center would snap the ball and the chiefs were getting off the line like having a crowd there was a distinct advantage. And Mm -hmm. again, we talked about last week a little bit, but it was even more so because no one had played in that loud of a, of a stadium, but the bills had one for their opponent, but Josh Allen wasn't taking snaps under that. I'm just saying that was cool to see a full silent count happening in the NFL. Again, I forgot what that looked like. It's a great, it's a great call too. And it's, it's interesting because we talked about this last week, green Bay didn't have fans in their stadium all year. And then here they were, a loaded stadium and they got those big like wooden clackers that they were hitting yeah. off. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> yeah. That was like so these cool. jet, big like wooden pallet things that they were just banging on the seats in front of them. All of a sudden you took an environment and, and I'm not going to sit here and say Aaron Rodgers can't play crowd noise. He's done it for 15 years, but I do think there is something too. Hey, you haven't played football in front of fans for a year. And now you have to do it on the biggest stage with your season on the line I thought before the game, like it's kind of a bold move by green Bay. Like it could, it could influence. I didn't think it would pregame. I kind of dismissed it quickly to the point that I didn't even write it down. Cause I wish I did. Cause it would have made me sound much smarter than I am now, but you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, nonetheless here, uh, guys, why don't we move forward? We got two weeks here until the super bowl. So we're not going to get into all the game breakdowns and everything here for a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about it, but what I do want to do is I want to talk about our favorite storylines. So right off the bat, when we're talking about a preview of a Super Bowl that you're, you, we have one of the, not one of, the greatest quarterback of all time, the greatest arguable football player, which it may be say him, LT, right? There's some there's some legitimate argument that can be made there. Uh, but when you just think football player, you know, Jerry Rice is another one. That's a good Scotty. Jim Thorpe. Uh, Tom, Tom Brady's in that conversation. Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe. Really, really throwing it back there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chuck Ben Chuck Ben Eric played both sides of the ball. You know, uh, what's Tom I'll, Brady I'll, do? He's, Tom Brady's not playing both sides of the ball. What are we talking about? No. Uh, exactly. It's, it's Thank it's you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Let's pay some respect to the old. No, <laughs> keep going. It's, it's, the, it's the greatest of all time versus the guy guy who might supplant him within the next 20 years which is a fascinating thing to look back on and i think what ultimately will happen is we will look back on this and and, and when we're talking about this idea of, of storylines right ryan russillo's favorite word narratives 
Uh, I think he, you have to start with Brady versus Mahomes. And, and maybe that's not my favorite here, but it's the one that will, you know, Tom versus time. It's the one that will stand the test of time here between these two guys. Right off the bat, my initial reaction here is that Tom Brady's legacy doesn't get tarnished with a loss. Oh, Jeff. But Pat, I care but, about but you. Pat, Don't do it. But, but Patrick Mahomes' legacy will increase even more than what we thought was possible within his first three years with a win over the GOAT. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree with you there, but I care about you. I don't know how you – it's got to be Tom Brady, right? What? Tom, <laughs> if, if Tom Brady loses this game, do you really think his reputation changes? His no, resume changes? No, I don't. I don't. I think it – I. So why, what he, are you worried I think about? He me co- for? I think he comes back. If Tom Brady re- uh, loses, do you think he retires? Or Tom Brady no. wins? I'm sorry. No, no, do you no, think no, he no. retires? Uh, goes out on top. No, no. Fulfills his this legacy in Tampa Bay. He, he if you guys don't think in- he will play until they force him off this field, I can. I will bet so much on that. He loves football. This guy loves football. And maybe I'm just idolizing him because, like I said, he's the greatest. And I like, I would hope that the greatest football player loves football as much as he says he does. And it seems like it. Hopefully, his family can pull him away. I think it'd be better for him. I really hope he, he does step away, but I just don't think he will. I mean, but think about Michael Jordan retired on top, right? He like, came back. I, but no, but even after, but I'm talking about his second retirement, right? His second retirement, he still had juice left in the tank as we saw oh yeah he did come back and yeah, play come back again the yeah. you're right you're right you're, you're right i guess i'm thinking of this idea of like at, at some point if tom brady wins right if tom brady wins this game he's already the goat so he's not proving anything more and i never have thought that tom brady has wanted to be the best because of a legacy or, or what his resume says he just wants to prove that he is in fact the best but i also think Tom Brady has the awareness in that he didn't take the years off like Michael, where like Michael could have looked at it and said, I've accomplished all these incredible things. I'm ready to leave. He left while he was still on top and he still had stuff left in the tank. Tom Brady's never taken a gap year. Tom Brady's never taken a year off. I mean, he had the ACL injury one year, but I wouldn't necessarily call that a year off. You know, you're rehabbing and rehabbing and getting everything ready. I think there is an element of Tom Brady has been like, look, I've been doing this for 22, 23 years. If he wins this year and then maybe next year where he goes, I think as long as he knows he can do it at the highest level. And that was kind of where my brain went with the Michael Jordan thing, because he he mentioned that and that, you know, Patrick Ewing said to him one time, you know, they're going to have to drag me off the court. They're going to have to drag me off the court. And now we have that long lost Patrick Ewing Orlando magic season that people yeah. just love remembering oh. or whatever. Right. Wow. If Tom Brady, if Tom Brady can change, you know, change teams and win a Super Bowl and prove to be the first person to ever do that, probably in the more like with the exception of, you know, Peyton Manning did it as well, but he'd be in rarefied air of people that could do that. I think as long as he knows he can play at an elite level, he will play. But if he wins this year and then maybe lose in the NFC championship game next year, I would not be surprised to see time walk away at all. No, I hope he does. And I think to answer your original question though, Jeff, yeah. Um, it was, I, I think what's going to be different about who wins and their legacies is I think if Tom wins, people will always look at if Mahomes goes on a fucking tear and wins a bunch of championships, people will always point and be like, yeah, but he didn't beat Brady. Like 
that I think will be almost not a nail in the coffin, but a very strong stake so, on the on the foundation of that argument. And I think it's I think it's you, fair. So I think for my point is that I think Mahomes' legacy has more on the line long term for sure. I agree with you, and I think it's drastic. I think this could be one of those like imagine this. Imagine if when the whole coat before LeBron when the Kobe Michael arguments were happening, and if Michael beat Kobe in like 96 if kobe was like five years younger right like everyone yeah. would be like no but he beat him so it's not even a discussion and i think that that could happen here that's fair yeah i mean and like if if if, if jordan had played into 1999 right, right. And, and that's that a great the beginning the of, the, of the lakers for sure of 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 the lakers uh beginning of them in the kobe shack era and then you have kobe and shack knocking off michael jordan so that would be the thing. Cause there's only, you're right. There, there is only going to be one opportunity. And the thing here too, is that you cannot make the argument of, Oh, well, Tom Brady's washed up, you know, cause he's, you know, if, if Mahomes beats him in the Super Bowl, there will not be, you will not be able to have the conversation. Oh, Tom Brady was washed up when that no, game happens. No, it didn't mean anything. The, it's like, no, we just, he, we just saw him beat Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Not the way he played this year, but then you flip the script. Mahomes wins this game. Is it, does the storyline then become passing of the torch of the the greatest of all time, giving the no, torch off to the, to the other guy and riding off? I think what will happen though, I think here's where I disagree with you guys. I think long-term yes, right now we will, but I think long-term anyone will be able to point and you know, this will happen in 20 years from now. Anyone will be able to point to this game and be like, yeah, but Tom Brady was 43. And be like, all right, that was fair. So I think what I'm but, saying is if he loses excuses all day, and I think they kind of slap, I think if Mahomes loses, it's much more damaged. Now on the positive side, yeah, Mahomes obviously can say, if people if he beats Tom Brady, then the argument will be, oh, but I beat Tom Brady, and I won five other champions or six. If he can have that kind of team and in, in career. But the point is I just don't think that it has as much impact on Brady in terms of the, the negativity that it will cause to Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So it definitely, yeah. It, well, it, ah, man, see, I, I'm, con, I'm conflicted on this, right? Because if Mahomes wins, it's too early to have the goat passing of the torch, like way, way too early. But what Tom Brady's done, and even throughout history, you're going to have to look at who he beat in the NFC championship game to get there. And I, I don't think Tom Brady's washed enough for, for this, even throughout history. And maybe over time it will get lost, like details tend to. But if Tom Brady wins, is are we, are we really going to be like, oh, well, that's a black mark on Pat Mahomes' legacy because he lost to the greatest quarterback of all time who just knocked off the league MVP this year who had arguably the most productive slash efficient season that a quarterback's ever had. When you consider efficiency as a part of it, what Aaron Rodgers did this year was on another level. And now you're saying Tom Brady beat him. And then Tom Brady would go in and beat Pat Mahomes. That doesn't take anything away from Pat Mahomes, especially considering that Pat Mahomes will then go on to win more and, you know, go on and, and win right. more. So, and look, maybe that's a big so, assumption to, to assume that, but given what we've seen to this point in his career, it's hard not to. Now it does open the door for this, which we see in basketball a lot, which is that a lot of people like to fault guys like LeBron James for not winning as many titles as Michael Jordan, even though LeBron has been in three more NBA finals than Michael Jordan ever played in. 
And it becomes a black mark going to there and losing. Now, historically in football, we don't do that as much because most losing teams in football just fade away forever and we don't think about them as much. But in the NBA, it became a black mark against the argument for LeBron being the goat ahead of Michael. And I don't think we would see that, but this is a rare exception within, you know, sports that or football in particular that I could see that happening. Well, and one thing to note, though, is I think what was interesting about that is that that was the initial knock on Brady, if you remember, from like 07 on was like, OK, the thing about Montana was that he went to four and he won four. And it was that same mystique that Jordan had. Right. It was just like they got there and they six, won and it. Won six. Yeah. And then once Brady lost two and it was like, oh, he won three, but he lost two. Like this is is he better than Montana? There was still that question. And then obviously since then, it's been completely squashed. Um, but. I'm wondering to that point, like you're saying, it doesn't happen often. Brady obviously went on a tear so far like that. You can't make the comparison anymore. Um, just winning more, going away more. It will be interesting to see. Like, I, I guess the crazy part is we're talking about a kid who's not even 25 or he's 25, whatever it is. And we're talking about him as like, is he going to be one of the greatest ever? And it's a very hard conversation to have we know we're in for something special. I am praying for no injuries or anything for Mahomes, and that yeah. Andy Reid stays there the whole time. I would love to see a fucking dynasty in Kansas city, even being a Broncos fan, because this could be such a special run. I'll do you one better on that front. Uh, I'd love to see Eric the take over for Andy Reid in a couple of years and watch him coach up this team with led by Patrick Mahomes. But I think, to to your and Jeff's point, frankly, the the comparison to LeBron, LeBron's done it with three teams now. And for Brady to do it with a second in the NFL is even more like unheard of than it is in the NBA. So mm-hmm. for especially him to in do your that, first year somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like in, um, in Vito, a COVID Vito, season, by the Vito way. Went yeah, I mean, that's obviously something that's always going to be carried with the 2020-2021 season is the fact that they did all this throughout mm-hmm. COVID. Uh, Vito, correct me here as, as the Broncos fan. Did Peyton Manning go to the Super Bowl that they lost his first year in Denver? No, it was um, it was his second or third. Um, uh, yeah, and second. then they went to what, three? They went to two and four years? Is that what it was? Two and three. So he lost in 13 um in 14 we we didn't make the playoffs and then 15 they won in 15. we won no no yeah. 14 is when we lost to the fucking ravens on that bullshit deep don't get me started on that shit but yeah also was- oh god damn it fucking flacco and then he has the balls to join our team i was so pissed i was so pissed but uh <laughs> the point chasing paychecks man yeah but uh very great point though that that transitions heart and um to do it with a guy who has such a distinct different offense. This wasn't like a, oh, my coordinator became that head coach and I went with him, something like that. This is like, no, Tom Brady's going to, at 43, go to an air raid offense, basically, as close as we get in the NFL besides the Cardinals, and just bomb it all the time and have a wide-open attack and crush it. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, and that's why that's why he struggled. That's why he struggled so much early. And as the season went on, and we, there was a quote from Arians going into this weekend about – uh, you know, watching Tom Brady. And he's like, he's like, I, I coach. He's like, I let Tom Brady coach now. Sometimes I just sit back and watch, you know, and that, that was from the head coach and Bruce Arians because he's <laughs> right. smart enough to know 
Right. Like, yeah, like he's smart enough to know that, like, hey, I need to let Tom Brady do Tom Brady things if I want to win. If I want to win a Super Bowl, you, you got to hand over the keys on a, on a good portion of these these situations to, to even not appease Tom Brady, but to make him feel comfortable, to make him feel like he's running an offense that he knows he can be successful in and more importantly, nurture the relationships with the wide receivers. Cause that's so much of it. I mean, how many question marks do we have about like, Oh, he's not going to have Julian Edelman. And and we didn't know if he was going to have Gronk. Right. And then Gronk comes back, but you know, Gronk had that one screen catch, you know, but other than that, he had Gronk, Gronk's been a shell of Gronk throughout, you know, what we're expected to, to see of Gronk. But if Tom Brady calls, he picks it, you know, he picked up the phone, which again is a testament to what people, you know, we talked about earlier, the way that your teammates talk about you matters. Um, so again, obviously the, the dominating headline here is going to be Brady versus Mahomes. Like it, it just is. And, and I can promise you now, we are all going to be fucking exhausted of it by the time the actual Super Bowl comes around. Like it's going to be talked to death so freaking much that yeah, I don't everyone. want to. And by everyone, yeah, exactly. That I don't want to spend all of our uh, storylines here talking about that because there are some other important ones. And one of the interesting ones here is we talk about it kind of mirrors Brady versus Mahomes. Is you're going to have a game that has Gronk versus Travis Kelsey? And obviously, that's not an on the field matchup, just like the quarterback matchup isn't. And they're going to have less, Travis Kelsey won't, but Gronk's not going to have the same impact. But it will be something that gets talked about over the next couple of weeks is that. After the year that Travis Kelsey has put together, in which I still feel even more vindicated that he should be the offensive player of the year this year. And I know Derrick Henry joined the 2000 club and that is a small club, but to what he did that as, as a tight end is more impressive than what any running back has done at running as a receiver or as, period. as oppressed as a receiver period, yeah. not just as a tight end, but especially for a tight end to put up the receiving numbers he did. But the conversation is going to be, and I've already heard this is that, you know, Gronk blocks Gronk's, split in on the tight end side. Gronk does all this other things. Come but on. Travis Kelsey That's the blocked, evolution of the game. Well, there, that is 100% true, Scott. But in addition to that, no, well, no it, it absolutely is. No, it's evolution it, of the game. But the point is, is you can still use that as a comparison. Like, I'm sorry, if Travis Kelsey does not block as well as Robert Gronkowski, I don't care what offense Robert? they're in. Yeah. Robert first name Gronkowski. <laughs> That's what his mom calls it, maybe. When the she's point mad is at him. that, like, yeah, and I'm mad because I think that that you cannot underrate that guy's skill. Because people think about blocking; it's all upper body and arm. It's not. It's lower. It's mm-hmm. leverage. It's such a. It's like an innate physical ability. It's what wrestling's from. It's why like football players are looked at like gladiators. To your point earlier, Jeff, like this is what we have left. And I think his ability to just stand up against another man and just push him like anywhere he wants. Yeah. is something that's so underrated. And Kelsey's great. I think Kelsey, to your point, is probably a better overall receiving tight end right now, especially in getting separation. Gronk was always great at going up and getting balls or like running people over. But the separation like that Kelsey's getting from linebackers, and to mm-hmm. me, I'm glad you brought up the tight end to tight end storyline because my storyline was going to be Kelsey versus the linebackers. A lot. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah that's a great You're going to get Devin point, White you know. on him. And, and Devin, look, and before we, move, before, we, too. before we move on to that, because I, I, that is something I want to get into. I just want to finish up this, this Kelsey versus Gronk thing here, because I kind of want to merge what you said, Vito, with what Scotty said. Gronk is the rare tight end that could not only be an elite receiving 
tight end, but could also be an elite blocking tight end. But that is in the traditional mold of how we view blocking tight ends, which is that of a tight end who can go one-on-one with a defensive end or an outside linebacker and hold his own. And in a lot of cases, beat him. Mercedes Lewis threw uh, JPP or Shaq Barrett, one of the two, like on the ground, like a vicious block this week. And so you still see it from time to time. But Travis Kelsey is vital in the blocking game for Kansas City. He just blocks downfield. When I was talking about that short passing game, right, Travis Kelsey is always looking for a safety or cornerback that he can plow because of where they line him up. That is who his blocking assignment is going to be. And he is as good at doing his blocking assignment as Gronk was at his. Now, admittedly, Gronk's blocking assignment, taking on a D end and chipping and doing that stuff, especially when it's one-on-one, can be a lot harder but that's where it bounces out where it goes well Travis Kelsey for as good as a receiving tight end as Gronk was Travis Kelsey is a significantly better receiving tight end than Gronk and Gronk might be the greatest receiving tight end of all time which tells you how freaking incredible Travis Kelsey is he has as good of a feel at you know one of the big things that people love about Zach Ertz uh, when he was at his height you know with the Eagles was his ability to just find holes in the defense it's a it's a supernatural it's a feel thing it's something that you can't teach you have to feel it and watch so many hours of film to understand it and Zach Ertz made a living not being the biggest and the strongest and the fastest but by doing that Travis Kelsey is the biggest strongest and fastest And he does that better than anybody else in the NFL at his position, which is why I'm so freaking just dumbfounded at how brilliant he is. And, and if you ask me right now, who's a better tight end in their prime, who would you rather have? I think I would take Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I would too. That's the first thing. Because he did everything. He did everything you said, Jeff, uh, before Mahomes even got there. And he was well, he was it, always it, a, a top tier tight end before that. And I think the thing about Gronk and why I would take him is for something that Jeff actually alluded to earlier is that what the difference they're very similar and they both have a lot of fun and they're both very charismatic. But I think Gronk brings people together very much more than Kel- Kelsey. A lot of his energy, especially when he was younger, he got you know he would do some excessive celebration. He got personal fouls and tonics and stuff. The point is, is that Gronk is like. So did Kelsey, by the way, early in in Kelsey's career, he got no, no. I'm still. No, I'm saying Kelsey. I'm saying Kelsey. Oh, I sorry. messed that up. Sorry. No, no, I no. It, it works for both of them. Is the point I'm trying to make is that they but, both had have had that streak in them. It, well, it's like that energy, but Gronk didn't get as many flags and stuff for that. The point is, is that Gronk like would always just do stuff that was funny and goofy, and I feel like he gravitates people towards him more. And I feel like that difference actually does impact a lot of things, like why Tom Brady the greatest of all time who works harder than anyone and all that stuff calls him to get him like to come out of retirement, even though, you know, he lost a bunch of weight just to come catch a few balls. Cause like I have that chemistry with you and like, I like you, man. I want you around. That's why there's you see him walking out where him. he needs him. Yeah. Like there's going to be a play in every game that matters that Tom Brady knows he's going to have to go oh, yeah. to Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, and it's going to be like the a relationship th- that's been built. Yeah. I said that in the in the and, and in the look, game this weekend was that like it got to the third quarter and I looked at my father-in-law as we were watching the game and I was like, you know what name I haven't heard all day? And he goes, who? I go, Rob Gronkowski. And then Watch he caught out. that screen pass. Yep. Well, and then, and then he there's going to be a play like that. Huge play. That was. There's going to be a play like that in the Super Bowl. It was guaranteed. It was very important in what they were based on the context that was going on in that drive. Now, Vito, to your point, I think Travis Kelsey has. Not quite the same 
you know, charisma that that Gronk has, but he's pretty damn close. I mean, like Kelsey's got he's a you ever see him like come in pregame with his suits? He's super into fashion. Man, he had that him, TV show catching. Remember, he him, had the TV show catching Kelsey. Well, dude, him or his brother, that family. Like, I would love to hang out with that family. You talk about a family of the NFL. I know we talk about the Watts a lot. Why the fuck aren't we talking about the Kelseys more? That family would be so the much Kelsey's more fun to awesome. hang out with. Holy shit, how fun would that Hung, be? Hungry, hungry dogs run faster, baby. And, and what was so cool was Travis Kelsey was on the field right after the Eagles won and freaked out for Jason. And then there was a great video last year after the Chiefs won when Jason, like, tackled – you know, Travis Kelsey to the ground and gave him a massive bear hug. And just like, it, it, there is, so you're right. That, that is the family to watch. Like the Watt family is like the, the, the photo perfect family, you know, the, Oh, our son, JJ Watt and TJ defensive players. And like, they made a may accomplish more, but just like at its core, like what family would you want to be a part of growing up? You would want to be a part of the Kelsey's a hundred percent, 10 times out of 10. And same yeah. thing with like the longs, like Chris and Kyle long yes. are yeah. very much cut from that same cloth. You know, well, the Chris Dad's Long's not, podcast yeah. is amazing too, by the way, if you haven't listened to it. Oh, the green, the green light pod is, yeah. is a must listen for, for football fans. I cannot, I cannot sell that enough uh, but here the last the last storyline i had written down here guys was uh we and we're going to get into this in a second we want to quickly hit the you know the coaching carousel we're each going to kind of talk some about about that uh, a guy who had to wait a really really long time to get a head coaching job was bruce arians uh, he had to wait a long time right and we're, you look through his resume and you go how did it take this long for this guy to get a job and there's a similar story behind Bruce Arians and the way that the NFL viewed him as the way that college football viewed uh, uh, Ed Orgeron, which is that he talks a little funny. He's got a weird hat that he wears. His face always, he always kind of looks like he's drunk. There's the famous story that he said on part of my take where he drank white paint as a kid because he thought it was milk. And then he did it again. <laughs> like there's always just like, there's a screw loose with this guy and he, probably wasn't a good interviewer like we all know some people are good test takers some people aren't some people are good interviewers some people aren't and there's a there's a sense that with bruce arians that, that was the thing that was holding him back and for him to eventually after you know being the oc in uh in uh, indianapolis and being the oc in pittsburgh for amazing offensive teams that now he has a chance to win a super bowl would be a really cool thing for someone who's been around the NFL for a really, really long time. He was a, he was an assistant for bear Bryant on Alabama staff. That's how long back Bruce Arian goes Jesus. And for him, for him to get a super bowl, I think would be really, really cool. Yeah, oh, I agree hundred percent. The history of him. I mean, it's not just that too, the offensive in ingenuity of the teams that you've seen at every level. It's not like he invented some system and runs it. He evolves so much. That's how you can coach that long. So it's, again, I feel like, and, and what's cool about him though, too, that you kind of alluded to Jeff is he's a lot different than Brady a little bit because Brady's a hardcore, I mean, came from the Belichick and even back in Michigan, he talked about it a lot. He just worked harder than everybody. That was his goal. Like I can get better faster than everybody else can. And that's, what's going to make me the best. And um, with Bruce Harris though, it's like, Hey, um, you know, I'm not requiring you to do all this extra like workout stuff after do what you need to do to be the best. Like, I'm not going to be all over you, but like have some fun, but be like, do what you need to do. And I think those two attitudes coming together. And I think Brady coming from under Belichick and um, that, that, you know, the Patriots 
system and their, their whole program obviously is just so different than a lot of people's and people try to replicate it. We've talked about it, but it's so different than Bruce Arians. I think that's a really cool thing is that Bruce Arians was always under other people. And then when he's on top, he's like, no, I'm relaxed. I'm chill. I, I don't need to be over top of everything. And I think that's helpful because everyone now looks at Brady. Like you said, he can sit back. Like it's crazy to think about. So, and, and we'll move on after this here. Uh, the perfect testament to that Vito is when did Antonio Brown have his best years? A lot of the times it was under Bruce Arians and it's because Bruce Arians is a player's coach. He understands players similar to, you know, the Phil Jackson and, and uh, uh, Dennis Rodman stuff, right? Sometimes you just got to let Dennis be Dennis. And, and I think if you have the right coach that can understand, you know what, sometimes I got to let Antonio Brown be a lunatic. I just got to make sure that it doesn't hit the public in a, in a wrong way. And we have not heard a peep out of Antonio Brown since he's been back in the NFL and considering like, if you had said that the year when he was with uh, you know, the Raiders last year and then go, and, and he was the main head story on sports center every single night for like a month, you know, to think of that guy as, Oh wait, we haven't literally haven't even heard from him all year. That speaks volumes about what Bruce Arians does within a locker room as a leader. And the last point too, sounds like, almost at Ogeron because he was also a player's coach. He came in and they had success mm -hmm. and he got recruits because players like him. And yeah. that means something that you can't really like in college. It means something because of recruiting and it's a distinct advantage in NFL. It means something that you can't see as much. You don't get more free agents because people mm -hmm. like playing for you. Maybe one or here there, but nothing. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, I do think it plays a, I think it plays a role when it's like a free agent has da is down to Tampa Bay or, Detroit or Tampa Bay or and Miami or something like that. And you're like, well, who yeah, would you, who would you rather play for? You know? And then all of a sudden that, that comes into the picture. It doesn't have the impact, but you're right. I mean, Ed Orgeron, he had, he had coach O talk down here, got, got my gumbo, you know, <laughs> go all, all that coach O stuff, go, go Tigers, you know, all that stuff with coach O people just underestimated him because he just talked a little bit different. He was a little bit off. And in my experience, the people who are a little bit off, are a lot of times like the geniuses are the people who like they may not have the strongest social skills, but it's because they're so brilliant at the thing that they obsessed over. And, and Bruce Arians is this football guys, football guy gets. So uh, an awesome conversation here to wrap up the pod with, and I hope you guys stuck around here to listen to it uh, again, just a lot of fun here. Obviously we have two weeks here before the Super Bowl. So we're going to do a deep dive into the game itself next week. We thought today would be good to just really dive into those conference championship games from this weekend, which were, uh, it's what, it's what we watch all year for us for this moment and, and the amount of dedication we all have here. So uh, for, for my man, Vito, my man, Scotty, we will be back hopefully next week to preview everything. Uh, I will have another pot out for you guys this week. We're going to talk about the Tiger Woods documentary uh, and get into some of the NBA action that we've seen here up until this point. So uh, for Vito, for Scotty, I am Jeff. Y'all have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon here on The Redoctrine.